and welcome to the Motormouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. Now, we are delighted to be officially partnering up with the Brain Tumor Charity. It's a cause we care deeply about and through our specially dedicated podcasts uncovering those within the motorsport community who've been affected by these devastating diagnoses, fundraising events and generating awareness, we'll all be moving further and faster to help every single person affected by a brain tumour. For more details on how you can help, just check the link in the podcast description or head to thebraintumourcharity.org. Can you believe we're at season six of the Motormouth podcast? Thank you so much for your continued support. And we also wouldn't be here if it wasn't for our sponsors. This season, we're delighted to be teaming up with Grid Rival. Now, if your football mates are constantly going on about their fantasy leagues, well, now you can get your own back and create your own racing fantasies. Thanks to Grid Rival, including F1 and MotoGP. You can select your own team and drivers, interact with other fans and join or create your own leagues where you can trade on the go to make sure you have the ultimate lineup for each race. If you're as obsessive about motorsport as we are, make sure you get set up on Grid Rival today. Head to their website, it's gridrival.com or download their app from your app store. 2021 leagues go live in February, so now is the perfect time to strategize and make sure you get a jump start by downloading the app and getting notified for when they do as the motorsport season begins to ramp up. Hello everyone, Tim Sylvie here. Now, before we introduce today's guest, I need to head over to the land of Essex, where men are famous for having their ankles out, ultra skinny jeans, fake tans, white teeth, skin fades, loafers, no socks, plain white tees and roll neck jumpers, and not to mention a ponchon for holidays to Magaluf and Ibiza. With that said, and no further ado, Harry Benjamin, how are you? I do not adhere to any of those uh, descriptions. I've never been to Magaluf or Ibiza either. How sad is that? That is sad. I I know. I spent a week in Ibiza. I barely remember any of it. It was amazing. I don't know. I don't know if that appeals. Well, to be fair, actually, having done a year of lockdown now, that really, really does appeal. Uh, So so get me to Ibiza ASAP. But um, yeah, I'm I'm all good. Uh, You know, it's it's a bit difficult to really come up with new things every time we talk like this, especially when we record multiple uh, shows in a day. But um, yeah, all well, love and life as much as you can do. How about you? Yeah, not bad. Thank you. Um, I mean, this is pretty what is this our third or fourth recording of the week second of the day i I lose Um, track we do too many i've even changed clothes so it doesn't look like i'm just wearing the same clothes in every single podcast because um so i've I've, I've put on the motor mouth hoodie there you go on brand always on brand bit of brand right shall i introduce today's guest yeah let's do it so today we are delighted to be joined by former Formula One driver turned DJ Jaime Alguashwari. The Spanish-born star navigated through Italian Formula 1600 before winning the Italian Formula Renault Winter Series. He moved to British F3 alongside Brendan Hartley and other big names on his way to winning the title at 18 years old. It was while he was halfway through a Formula Renault 3.5 season that he was drafted into F1 mid-season with Toro Rosso, where he stayed for the rest of 09, 10 and 2011 before before leaving the team at the time as at the same time rather as former podcast guest Sebastian Boemi. Like Sebastian, Jaime then made his way to Formula E before putting his efforts into music and becoming a chart-topping DJ. We're here to learn more about his amazing story. Jaime, welcome to the Motormouth Podcast. Thank you so much. A pleasure to be here with you. And yeah. It's great to have you on, Jaime. It really is. And what we like to do with all our guests is take it right back to the start to begin with and, and especially focusing on you know, how you how you first got that motorsport bug, you know, growing up in, uh, you're, well, you're in Barcelona, Spain now, aren't you? Growing up in Spain. Was it always on the radar for you from a very young age or did you sort of accidentally fall into it? Well, it was actually because my dad used to be a motorbike rider and you know I come from a you know a, a motorsport background from my family so I think he really wanted to put me into into the motorbike world but I realized that you actually get hurt when you fall fall down <laughs> <laughs> then I thought okay I think we we should give uh, four wheels a try a test and it went it went okay I mean I was just a kid playing football at my free time going to school just started like something super easy easy going and then the thing got a little bit more serious when you know I started to win a couple of races in Spain like regional championships national championships and I went to Italy 
where I, I started to, to race more internationally. And then I got in the uh, junior program of, of Red Bull. So everything started to get a bit more professional and and it went it was a nice adventure till F1. So yeah. yeah. Was... At, the, at, the, at the karting level, did you did you already think then, yeah, I've got a bit of a talent for this um, and, and I should pursue it? Or, or did was it a gradual thing where you suddenly thought, actually, this could become a career? Be honest, you know, because I think you're so young at that time. I was only 15 when I got picked up by Red Bull. Yeah. And I never thought I could make it to Formula One. I just enjoyed the whole thing. And I think this is the way to do it, to be honest. Uh, whether you pursue a career in music or golf or whatever sports you do or activity you do, I think it's just about enjoying the whole thing, you know, enjoying the 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 the, the season, the whole period of of work that yeah. you develop through through your years and experience. And of course, it was not all enjoyable because you know, being in the Rebel Junior team, it's it's pretty tough. Of of course, you yeah. know, you have to win, you have to deliver results. Otherwise, you 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 can't continue in the program. Uh, but it went it went well. I mean, we we did Formula Renault and then Formula Three World Series, and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, there was a seat in Formula One, and they got me into it. It's funny the um, the Red Bull thing crops up on a lot of our um, shows. There's there seems to be almost every racing driver we talk to has some connection to Red Bull. How did your connection arrive? How how did you come to be on the program? Well, it was actually a, a, a coincidence. It was a coincidence because I told my dad, I, I you know, uh, this motorsport is, is an expensive sport and you need sponsors in order to compete and race. And at that time, I was sponsored by uh, the like the national team here in, in Spain. I got some helps um, from, from the Circuit de Catalunya, from the Barcelona circuit, but there was not much help going on. So... I did a couple of races in Italy in one point, Formula Renault 1.6. 1, 1. I told my dad I wanted to to try um, the last uh, race of Formula Renault 2.0 Euro Cup. It was the end of 2005, and the race was in Monza. Um, before I did the race, I had to test the car in order to get a feeling and understand how things go on. So um, we, uh, I, I connected with uh, Juan Vila de Prat. He used to have a team called Epsilon. Uh, which I raced af- afterwards with Red Bull in 2007. And we go- we were going to do this test in Estoril um, in mid-season. So it was like a one-day test. But I got a f- I received a phone call from Joan saying that, um, unfortunately, we weren't allowed to do the test because the track was uh, rented by uh, Red Bull. They were doing this whole s- driver selection um, from like they selected all these, they they asked for they asked fifty drivers to come, and they were only selecting like five, four or five drivers every year. Um, and they were doing this walls wall selection in Estoril on this particular day. So the test was cancelled. Uh, but then I received I received a phone call from my dad uh, saying that um, you know that they they they. They had a talk with uh, Helmut Marko, who is in charge. I'm not sure if he's still in charge of the program, but at that time he was, and he was for years, many years. Um, he was basically running the whole junior program and, uh, you know, like managing drivers into Formula One. And uh, basically he was he was stating where the drivers should go and how to, you know, how to work with the drivers on different seats and so on. So I received a call from Helmut Marco. I was already in Barcelona and um, I came, I went the whole, you know, he wanted to see me. He wanted to test me. I, I, I thought it was ridiculous because I I didn't expect that phone call. You know, I was like, uh, they called me like in the last minute. I was not even ready for it, but it went well. I mean, I did a couple of laps. I think the test was obviously was the same for every, everyone. It was like five laps and then you put new tires, you do another five laps and and then you got judged, basically. <laughs> and and it, we, we were like 50 of us. And I didn't know the track. I think nobody did, actually. Mm. Uh, and I got selected. Me and Brendan, actually. Brendan Hartley. At that, the same year, 2005. So it was, a, it was a coincidence, but one of those that 
ended well. So yeah, it was. It's, it's funny you bring that up because that has we had Brendan on the show as well, and he mentions that selection day. And I think Sebastian Buemi was also. I think he was already a part of the the Red Bull Academy then, but he was there as a sort of uh, a mark for all of you lot. So it's very interesting. That was very much a, a big proving ground for for a lot of drivers. And and well, it worked out for you. And it, at that instance, and, and you you became on board, and you you went from there to I want to fast forward a little bit to to British F3. Uh, working your way up the ranks and you joined Carlin. Obviously, it's a really well-known motorsport team in junior categories, very successful. And it was a pretty um, a pretty high-profile grid as well. You had the likes of Sergio Perez and we already mentioned Brendan Hartley as well. And, uh, and you won the last three races and became the youngest British F3 champion, I think, it's still in history. How do you look back at that time? Well, I think it was one of... of those of one of the best times of, of my career of yeah. course was karting and, and then British Formula 3 which you know I think the best racetracks are still in the UK uh, it's it's all it's always nice to to win in the UK because of the history you know of Senna and the racetracks and the rain and everything it's like super epic and I had so much fun uh, working with with Trevor Carlin also with Brendan he was a great teammate super uh, competitive and it was funny because Brendan was uh, on that um, th- that day in Estoril. He told me that he was uh, waiting for this test for a year. So <laughs> wow! He, a year long that he had to go to to that to that test and prove him, himself. And you get the call up last minute. <laughs> yeah, I, I got the call like one day earlier. <laughs> so crazy, yeah. God, it's 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 astonishing. But it, the name, as Harry mentions, the names that you beat there, the likes of Perez and Hartley, both have been to F one. Sergio Perez obviously just got his his dream drive. Um, it, do you look back at those times and and think, oh, I wish I'd kept going longer in my career, or do you do you feel sort of at ease with the fact that you you did what you did, you you got as high as you could, you got out, and now you're doing something completely different. I think both, you know, it's funny you mentioned this because obviously, you know, when Formula the, the Formula One dream disappeared of my life, I felt very, it was a very difficult time for me because I was expecting, you know, I, I went out in the best moment of my life, yeah. not just technically and professionally, but also mentally, you know, I was like really, really ready for a competitive car and I knew I could really prove myself and be in the, in the very top. But, you know, life is like that and we can't judge the whole trip, the whole uh, experience I've lived in racing was amazing and it gave me like, it was my whole university, you know, that's the the thing I've got. Mm. Now I'm in something so different, which is music, and I, I look back and everything happened so quick. But it was a hell of a ride, you know. It was it was great. It was amazing. That that point where you were racing in Formula Renault three point five, you're halfway through the season and you get the call, um, Jaime, we, we want you to come to Toro Rosso, jump into the seat halfway through the year. But you must have known that you were going into a team that wasn't necessarily a front runner. Did you think, yes, this is the moment I've been waiting for. Here we go. Or did you think, yes, this is great, but a little bit apprehensive? that you're, you know you're stepping into a car that doesn't quite do you justice? Well, at that time, I think um, I wasn't really ready for Formula One. I think Formula One now is very, very different to, to, the, to the past. Uh, I think experience is something super important. Testing, you know, like understanding the tires, aerodynamics, how everything works. It's very different to junior series, junior categories. Uh, yeah, of course, at the end of the day, it's a steering wheel and two pedals, but uh, it's something else. So mm. first thing I've, I've noticed is like, oh, I'm not, I might not be ready to do a 70 lap race no. or two hour race. So that's the first thing I got in my head. But then 2010 was completely different. And then 2011 was even more different, especially the second half of the season. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting you say that because at the time when you joined Formula One, you were the youngest ever driver. And I think the first driver to be born in the 1990s right. to join Formula One. And now it looks like they pluck them out when they're 16 years old and stick them on the F1 grid. So how how do you look at it now when you know the drivers seem to be getting younger and younger? That's what I meant. I mean, it, it changed so much. Even if you look at 
junior categories, when I used to race, or Brandon or Checo or all these drivers, Grosjean, Hulkenberg, Bianchi, and um, Wemi, all the oh, Formula 3s, Formula Renaults, I, I remember, like, it was very tough because, like, there were drivers that they were racing for, like, years in those series, you know, like this. They were staying for, like, two, three, four, even four years to be front runners. So mm. they, at the end, they they become competitive somehow, and then when you look, I mean, I don't, I don't want to, you know, it's it's a very, it doesn't mean that now it's it's diff, it's worse or better. It's just different the way that uh, the whole motorsport activity has changed. And uh, when you look at uh, the junior series now, um, all of them are rookies or you know, like they're on their first year. Mm. So everything happens. Like there, there are no cycles, you know, they're just, everything happens so quick and they upgrade themselves into other series uh, super quick. You know, it was, mm. it was very different from, from the past. But also if you look at Senna's time in the 90s or even in the 80s, you know, Formula 3 was also very different and they were staying there for, for many years till they upgrade into Formula 1. So, yeah, yeah I think it, it just, it's just the way... The, the way junior categories have changed and also Formula One rules, I guess, you yeah. know, everything has changed a lot. Yeah, it's interesting. And we, we were talking to, um, God, who were we talking to earlier, Harry? Um, Gunter Steiner, there we go, um, about, um, about Formula One and the challenges that it has in this modern era with money and the cost of entry and, you know, the advantage that the likes of a Mercedes has in terms of financial um, uh, in terms of revenues and, and money to spend on their development as opposed to a Haas, for example, um, uh, but uh, which will hopefully level out with the, with the cost cap, but also the challenges of getting into the sport as a driver. You, you got in through Red Bull backing because you had talent. How, how do you view some of the, the guys that get there not necessarily based on talent, you know, that, that perhaps have to buy their way in more. Is that just something we have to accept in Formula One or, or is there a way around it? Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to be very, very clear with with this. You know, I, I think the situation has been every year more clear through the years. Of course, Formula One has always been um, a place where, you know, it has to be a win-win situation for everyone, uh, of course, you know, for the teams and as well for the drivers. But there has to be um, something proportional in between. There has to be something that makes sense. At the moment, it's just overrated. You know, the cost cap should have happened many, many years ago and not now. Yeah. It's still too late. And that's that's how I feel. I mean, I understand uh, teams that ask for money because they they, they just can't make it because the the, the the more you spend on the car, the more uh, the car is gonna, going to go fast. And if you have a driver coming with 20 million euro to play, to pay for his seat or even more, um, it's going to make a big difference on the team and on the salaries of people. And at the end, it's a company that has to go, um, that has to move forward. But what is the problem? That if you don't get the right sponsorship, which doesn't look like, because I've never seen in the story of Formula One, um, like McLaren, um, I've never seen the, the the empty side put that they were they, they, that they weren't they, that they were running. I think two or three years ago. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, I think McLaren never never raced with an empty side pod. So this is already an indicator that Formula One is going through a difficult period, and this should never ever happen. So my personal view as a racing driver is that I felt very frustrated. Obviously, when you're in the Red Bull universe, you don't you don't actually notice because you, you know you, your career gets paid by the company. You just have to deliver results. You don't have to beat your teammate. You have to be as quick as you can. And then you know that probably you might have a chance to make it. Sometimes it doesn't even happen, but you don't, you don't get to see uh, what's going on uh, um, after Red Bull. But then when I was out and I got asked for money to race, I asked myself, do I belong to this whole system and does this system belongs to me so the answer was no mm. i i thought um or at least i was wishing that we could talk formula one like tennis or golf and stand a ranking and uh, judge drivers 
uh, for for their skills, for their abilities, for their work, determination, yeah. whatever you want to call it, and not just for for their um, for their money, you know. So it's it is it is very sad and it is frustrating, uh, but it's the way it is. And hopefully they can make a solution. Hopefully the cost cap uh, helps everyone, especially the, the 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 lower teams, to to have more margin to in order to um, assign drivers for their skills and abilities, of course. Yeah. I, yeah, I think you've, you've described that and you've, you've said that so well. It, it, I really like the idea of a ranking system as well, like in tennis. I think that would be a great idea for uh, for F1 drivers or most sport, you know, every racing driver. Um, let, let's talk about your final year in Formula One in, in 2011. That was your best year in terms of results. And you had a hell of a run mid-season and towards the end. You were looking great. Were you confident that you had you've done enough to secure your future or were you already aware that things were changing? No, 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 absolutely. I was one, one million percent confident that, um, that I was, that I was continuing in Toro Rosso, of course. Uh, the, the thing that, that I was a little bit embarrassed, which obviously, you know, it was, um, it was very frustrating is that I got an offer from Renault, um, three, races uh till the end of the season um to be Kimi's teammate so it, for because Kimi Kimi was coming back yeah. rally uh into 2012 so i turned that down because obviously i it was really clear that i mean we were putting the car in the top 10 like super consistently beating teams that they were spending 40 50 million euro more than us we were beating mercedes lotus etc and it was like very clear that the whole thing was working out. Um, you know, we, we did a great job. Of course, yeah, it, it is also true that we were we were struggling at the beginning of the season because I had to understand the tires. It was the first year with the Pirelli tires and degradation was super high on, 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 on the racing. And then um, we did a change of setup. I understood the whole thing and, and everything came together from, I think, the eighth or ninth race till mm. the very end. So yeah, I was really, really, really surprised. Um, I've never, never, ever forget that day, that phone call at 8:30 a.m. on the 16th of December. So it was, it was not nice. It was really like, oh my god, you should like. There was no need to do that in that way. But that's the way life is, and I think, you know, many people can say something even worse. Like, you know, there's always a, a worse solution. And that's the way it went. So it's just accepted. Did, did they give you a reason? No, <laughs> no, no. <I> mean, <laughs> it, was, it was it was sad because yeah, with France toast, you know, I have a a decent relation. Let's say, I mean, I went last year to I, I I was I kept away like I kept myself pretty away from Formula One after that, even though I did some commenting and so on. Mm. But my girlfriend last year asked me to go to the racing in Barcelona. He wanted to you know uh, to see she wanted to see the race. And um, so I said, okay, let's go. And I went to, you know, I went to the Toro Rosso garage. I was with Franz and, you know, we, we both hug each other and so on. And I was like, shit, this guy, uh, nine years ago, he called me to, you know, basically tell me that I was not racing for them anymore. And, and, and he, 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 you know, he, 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 he shut down the, the, the phone. So you know, it was, it was like really dry and very, I don't know. It was it was strange. It was weird. But that's the way it is. Mm. A quick interruption to the show to remind you to check out our sponsors, Grid Rival. Grid Rival is an absolute must for any racing fan. I've been looking to join Fantasy Motorsport Leagues for ages and Grid Rival does that and so much more. With an experience like no other, real-time fantasy games, the best content and a community of fans, Grid Rival is a must for 2021. Get ready for the motorsport season with Grid Rival today. Fantasy Leagues go live in February, but make sure you head to their website gridrival.com or download their app from your app store so you're in pole position for when they do it's brutal isn't it it's such a shame as well because it's not like you know there there are some drivers that come into formula one um whether they're pay drivers or not who just don't cut the mustard they don't deliver and it's it was such a pity that 
you were delivering and you'd done so well in the junior categories. You were, you know, a talented driver that was destined to do good things. And to see you leave before you'd even had the chance to show you. I didn't know about the the Renault Lotus deal either. That's gutting. That is gutting. So, so gutting. A real, real shame. My weirdly, my um my overriding memory of you um is uh is when I, I saw you race live once in Suzuka. And um, it's funny. It's not. It's not a pleasant memory for you because it was the year that you you crashed badly in Suzuka. And you, the, the reason I remember it so well is because I was uh, working with ING Bank at the time, um, managing their sponsorships um, in Formula One with Renault and also various racetracks of which Suzuka. Uh, was one they were the title sponsor of the, of the track and you went crashing through their uh ing branded uh, hoardings on the track before you planted it into the wall so it was kind of a big deal that all the ing people were like yes great exposure for for the brand but it's got this overriding memory of you that's that's the last thing i remember of you in formula one it was funny um, but it, but a real shame that you that you left the sport at that point. But you weren't out of motorsport. Um, Formula E um, appeared on the radar. When did that first appear as a series for you? And I guess at that point in time, Formula E was was in its infancy um, to a degree. What did you think about it first and foremost? And, and how did the opportunity come out come about? Well, the, the thing is that now, you know the, after after what happened in Toro Rosso and Red Bull, I never expected that phone call. That was terrific for me. That was really really painful uh, because there was no margin to get a seat for 2012. Yeah. So Paul Henry from Pirelli called me to um, to test uh, tires for them, which actually was a very good idea because at least I got to be in in a race car in a Formula One car and do some mileage, which was super interesting and super important uh, to understand the tires for the uh, coming season. So, but that didn't, didn't, <laughs> that didn't change much because at the end of the day, you know, I was talking to different teams and they were both asking for, for something that, that I, couldn't, I couldn't have. And basically after that, I, I, my head was off, like... I did some racing and I did Formula E first season. I tried um, touring cars, but I wasn't there, you know, like my head was, was out. Like I wasn't, I was already thinking something else. I, I, my, my, I, I, I've always grown up thinking I want to be the best at my sport or at least try it. And when you reach your peak and you are still, you know, um, taking off, and um, on your, you know, ascend, ascending to your peak performance, uh, you don't expect to stop. You know, you don't. You you expect to to continue, and that actually really really hurt. I didn't I didn't want anything else than Formula One and being in the top five. You know, and 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 becoming world a world champion because at that time, Red Bull had the car to do it. So after that, I. I, yeah, we did Formula E, but you know it was a very completely different approach to racing, mm-hmm. and uh, I wasn't really motivated to to keep on going. To be honest, I, I was having I was enjoying much more uh, racing go karts than not uh, doing uh, other racing series. To be honest, nothing was really uh, pumping out, you know, mm, and that's yeah. why that's the reason why I, I called it a day and I went out. I I retired, you know, yeah. on my when I was 25 because it was like, you know, I I started when I was eight. I was uh, putting my helmet on and with with a big smile. I'm not smiling anymore. So what's the reason why I should race? Mm. Is it a question just for money? And I know I'm not going to give my 120. percent So I said I I think there's much more to life that I can do. I'm still very young. If I don't do it now, I might not do it ever. There's like music which is you know, amazing for me. It's like a hobby and I really want to produce music and, and release music as a, you know, as a newcomer. So there was some so many more appealing things in life that I really wanted to pursue. Yeah. And, and fortunately, you had that plan B, which we will come on to. But before we do, um, I'm going to uh, pass you over to my illustrious colleague because we have a little quiz for you all about yourself and some of your old teammates are on the leaderboard. So we'll have to make sure you beat them. 
Yes, hi, me, Al Gashwari. Welcome to the hardest quiz in motorsports, Motor Mouths. Um, there are four questions that we have for you, but they're all about you and your career, So uh, your F1 career. So essentially, you, you should be able to get them, but uh, it doesn't always work out for some people. Um, at the bottom of the list, so with three and a half points, is Karun Chantop. So if you beat him, you're fine. If we want to go higher, we're looking at, I suppose, David Coulthard has got 10 points. Boemi has got 11, but Brendan Hartley, now he's in fifth place with 12 and a half points out of 14. So I think we're going to aim high. Yeah. Let's see. see It's been a while. It's been a while. Okay, well, the first one is a clip that we want to play you. Uh, So have a listen to it and then just tell me, uh, see if you could fill in the context of it. What are you talking about? Where are you, etc. So have a listen to this. Here it comes. Give me a big help, and that's what happened. I, I used all DRS, all all cares, 100%, and I could manage to to pass him in the in the last corner, in the last uh, lap, which I was not expecting that. I don't think any of us were. You came past at tremendous speed. You must have had a real smile on your face seeing that. Yeah. He's got it. I think that's Korea, 2011. Yes, Korea, 2011. Correct. Nico Rosberg. Yeah. Passing him. Yeah, passing him. It, it was the, was it the final lap? Yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was incredible because, well, I, I've never, I, I will never forget that overtaking maneuver because actually he was a little bit faster than me. But like in Korea, there's a, a straight, which is like super long straight. And I, 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 I thought, okay, maybe if I press, if I release all the curse after turn one, uh, you know, normally you you manage curves on different mm. corners. Uh, but I said, okay, let's try it because it's the last corner, so you have nothing to lose. There's no one behind. So I said, okay, let's release curves a hundred percent, and then let's um, let's get the DRS out and see what happens. And then I got like this amazing <laughs> speed, like thirty kph more on the whole straight. And I I, I I was seeing like I was looking at Nico's car, and I was like getting him so like so hard. And I, I went through the outside and I was like, oh, my God, I, I made it. I, I don't even know how. Like, this is amazing. So I got a seventh place in there. It, was, it felt really, really great. And you're still scoring points from it today. That is a full three points <laughs> for you. Well done. OK, second question for you. Now, um, 2011 was your best season, as we uh, discussed. But what is your best race result? Seventh. And for an extra point... Can you tell me what races you got that in? That was Monza, Italy, mm-hmm. and uh, Korea. Correct. Absolutely. That is the full house. Okay, we're doing very well here, Jaime. Um, okay, number three. Uh, you raced in Formula E for the first season, of course. Uh, but what was your best result there? And where was it? Uh, what uh, track was it? Oof, that's going to be a bit more difficult. <laughs> because it was a nightmare of a race. I think the best result came... It was not a good result, actually. It was a fourth place. Yep. Correct. I call that a good result. <laughs> I should have won that race because it was a... If you look at that race, it was a nightmare. Like, right. Crazy. Like all Formula E races, like you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And it was in, in Argentina. Yes. Correct. That is a full house. Yeah, Jaime, I, it's looking Come good. Come on. It's looking very... Right, we've got one more question and then there's a bonus point up for grabs. So here's your fourth question. Uh, now, when you entered your first Grand Prix, you made history, as I uh, said at the start of the show, by becoming the youngest ever F1 driver. You were 19 years old and 125 days, apparently, according to Wikipedia. Um, but who beat your record and how old were they? Uh, Verstappen. Beat the record. Uh, can you? Oh yeah, okay. It was nine. Uh, I was nineteen, and he beat the record with. I won't know the the days. No, that's fine. Just the year. I'm sure, he beat it with eighteen years old. Oh, oh, he was seventeen. Oh, there goes oh, there so goes close. the podium. There's the podium gone. Oh. No, I'm going to give you two points for that out of three. So, because you got him and you were, uh, you, well, you weren't far off. Um, and I really, we need you to get high up on the leaderboard here. Okay, bonus point for you. How many drivers in total have raced for Toro Rosso? <laughs> Let me, give, me, give me a minute. <laughs> Feel free. Jot them all Do down. Do some counting. We can play some lift music or something yeah. at this point. <laughs> Sometime later. Oof, that's going to be tough. And you could include yourself in this, of course, as well. 
right? I cannot guess. <laughs> I, you know what? I will give you two either side. If you get within two, I'll give you the point. I think it's between 13. I'm going to give you the point because it's 14. Very good. <laughs> It's 40. That is, that is, so it's uh, Albon, of course, yourself, Bourdais, Buemi, Gasly, Hartley, Kvyat, Liuzzi, Ricardo, Sainz Jr., Speed, Vern, Verstappen, and Vettel. Okay. <laughs> so just if you wanted to hear that again. Um, but that gives you one point in the bag. So let me just do the math, please. That's a good result. It's a very good result, Jaime. It's a very, very good result. But I'm really sorry to say you're half a point behind Brendan. You got 12 and he got 12 and a half, but it does put you right up there. You're just ahead of Mark Webber, so you can take satisfaction from that. <laughs> happy, I'm happy. I'll, I'll sleep good tonight. That's yeah, a solid that effort. Good. A very solid effort. Now, we, we mentioned before the quiz that you did have a plan B. And as Formula One and motorsport started to, to fade away from your life, your other love appeared which was music. And uh, just take us into this this world of music. You know, we're, we're looking at you now. Our, our, our listeners can't see you, but you look like you're in a sort of music studio kind of set up yeah. there. Um, where did this love of music come from? What sort of music is it? And, and how does it play a part in your life now? Well, it all started uh, with my friends in Ibiza, actually. Hey. <laughs> uh. I was uh, like, my, my parents used to go to Ibiza from since 1975. And they got me like when I was like super young and they used to go every summer in there. So I, I, I made all my friends in there. Ibiza has been always like the home of electronic music, um, especially in the summer season. And um, I got to play some records with my friends in a basement. And that, that you know, I had the, the chance to travel uh, to Italy, to the UK, to Germany uh, for racing. So I had some time or I was making that the time <laughs> records uh, on my free time. And it was a really nice um, period of time because record stores were at that time strong before the internet came uh, super strong. And, um, and, and it was really, I have great memories of, of buying like vinyls and, you know, like all these amazing records. I still have them and play with them. And it's, it's really cool. So, you know, music was there since a very early age. Um, I started making music, like producing music on my laptop, like sending demos to independent labels uh, from 2008, 2009, making music on my spare time whenever I could, like really basic stuff. You know, like whenever, whenever I listen to my first uh, tracks, it's like very different to what I do now. <laughs> that's, that's what it's all about. You know, when, when you start something uh, and you develop it and you get good at it or you get better at it, it's, uh, it's nice to see the whole evolution, you know, and the development. So, you know, I, I, when I um, got out, of, when, I, when, I, when I was out of Formula One and I thought, okay, what, what am I going to do with my life? Because I'm not really feeling racing anymore or I'm not feeling racing as it was in the past. So I really want, want to give music a go. I'm, I'm going to go for that. I love music. I, I want to try. I want to test. I want to prove myself. I want to see where this takes me. And so far has been amazing because obviously, you know, I've spent like loads of hours in the studio playing with synthesizers, with machines, drum, drum machines, uh, working with, with other um, musicians, with singers, and it has been it has been amazing. I've released a lot of music uh, under my other name, Squire. I wanted to make sure I didn't mix both things, so <laughs> I released music as Squire. And now this year, um, unfortunately, we we had a pandemic going on, so now music is, is seeing you know it's being really really affected. So no festivals, no club music, no um, no parties happening going on. Uh, so this year I had in mind to release my, my album, which is going to be my, my first album of uh, 11 songs, which is very different to what I normally do. It's something more personal, something more uh, pop, or let's call it like it's difficult to categorize music nowadays, but it's something like more freestyle, you know, mm -hmm. more emotional. And I'm really looking forward to that. And I'm starting my own label called Animes as well. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's very different to racing. It has many things in common as well, but it's just another period 
of my life, another stage of, of my life, another chapter, which is fantastic, which is great. At the moment, actually, I'm already thinking on um I wanna I wanna um, I wanna be back on, on a go-kart, actually. And I never thought I could I could do that. And I'm testing I've been testing go-karts. So, you know, it's it's like well, How? Jaime, we, we've got, um, in the summer, hopefully, COVID-dependent, once it's all out of the way, we've got our own karting, a celebrity karting event. Feel free to come over and join us. Yeah. We, we've got, yeah, we've got loads of loads of drivers coming. If you want to join in, you're, you're more than welcome. We'll talk about that offline. Um, it, it's funny, though, your name is, is familiar in motorsport circles, and racing fans and... Uh, my peers who are in motorsport know your name. It's a, it's a familiar, you've been out of the sport for a few years now, but people still know who you are. Do you still get recognized? Do you get, do you get picked up at like, you know, music festivals that you're playing at or whatever? And people are like, hang on a minute. Do you, you were in formula one. Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, um, it was a shame because actually people in Spain, especially people recognized me like, Oh, what a shame. What happened to you? Oh. And it, I my God, I was, um, you know, it was it was a bit frustrating because every time I got to meet someone, they were saying that the same thing. They were like, "Oh, how sad was was the whole situation? Oh, what a pity, or whatever." And I was like, "Yeah, I know, but it's what it is." I mean, like, look, I had a career in Formula One. I did like I scored thirty one points. I know it's like other drivers did many more, but I feel super proud with what I did with the car I had. And the conditions and the technology we were running at that day. So at the end of the day, I think it's just a question of feeling free and feeling like in peace with yourself. And and I think music helped me out a lot on on this whole men- mental aspect, you know. Yeah, I think uh, the the way the way you talk about it is really is is really nice to see. You know, it's a really mature way of talking about it, and because it was, you know, it, uh, those people who who probably did feel quite bad for you at the time, but you know, you used your you had that extra passion and you used it as a well as a way of sort of getting through to your next chat to your next chapter, and you turned that into your 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 second career. And you're absolutely right; not many people get a career in Formula One. Right. It's a lot of people's dreams, and some people don't even get to that to that level so that that's 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 an achievement in itself in itself um obviously you've been away from the sport i know you were a pundit for for a short while after um uh you originally left f1 but do you still keep an eye on motorsport day to day do you still watch races are you are you in the loop with modern f1 yeah i mean i had a period of time where i completely quit everything i just i felt like like this um, how do you say? Like I didn't, I don't, I, I, I needed a distance from motorsport and to feel myself like away from the whole motorsport uh, world. But I'm back to it now. I mean, I, I feel, I feel proud of of everything, and I feel I look at, I look back at my career, and I can talk about it openly. You know, I, I went through it. It was, it was, it was still a shame, of course, but I've realized that the whole thing was was great to live and now i can look back at racing i went uh, i i took my girlfriend to the race to formula one last uh, last year i was there i didn't even feel uncomfortable you know i shake hands with christian horner with helmut marco with franz Stoss, the people who didn't want me there and it was all good it was fine you know so i think that was I, I've put that in 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 my bag, and yeah. like in the past, yeah. you know. So yeah, I think it, I, I'm in a different mode. Yeah, actually. Now, although you're in a different mode, now one of the reasons why I really wanted to get you on because I was I was looking at your Instagram and I did see you know you posted a little bit of your F1 car and you were starting to do go karts and I was thinking, ah, oh, is there a comeback on the cards? There might be actually. That's why I was. <laughs> and that's the thing, you know. Now, um, I feel so different. Like when I when I see my interviews and when I see my body language, my behavior when I was a race car driver, I feel so different. Probably age and yeah. you know maturity and education. Uh, but I have to say that the fact that I was out of Formula One and I was in connection with the real life with the real world because I, I do not consider formula one is living the real world you know when when you manage and we, you work with all this money and figures and 
all these luxuries and so on, uh, it made me much more human and much more realistic of what's going on. So I feel like now I can see motorsport on a very different perspective. And if I might think of a comeback, uh, it would be just to enjoy. And I would, I would see it on a very different, of course, I would like to be competitive and to be in the front and to win because I'm always like that. I, I don't, I hate losing, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but, um, but I would, I would, I would manage the whole situation with a very different perspective, or at least this is how I feel. Is there a, a category that you've got your eye on? At the moment, I'm I'm enjoying like go-karts, which is for me, like the the, the feeling of driving a, a shifter go-kart is like super similar to Formula One with the grip levels, with the torque and the reaction time. Everything is like super connected you know and it was it, it made me a smile the other day because you know it's been a while i didn't uh, uh drive a go-kart and when i went out for the first lap i was like oh my god this is amazing i i forgot that feeling you know of of freedom mm. so yeah that made my 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 day my year. <laughs> were your were your family quite quite supportive because obviously your dad was really involved with motorsport and, and he wanted you to to become involved were they supportive when you decided i've I'd had enough yeah well I don't. I, I think at the beginning he didn't actually. He didn't want to see it, uh, or at least he didn't want to believe it as much as I did. Um, I think as a parent you want the best for your child, you want the best for your son, and my dad. Of course, he's not. He he. You know, if if I want to make a career in music or whatever, uh, he will support me. But of course, he has racing in his blood. And and he would be delighted that uh, I would make comeback. I'm sure. <laughs> well, uh, you, you heard it here first, folks. This this is it. This is this is the start of Jaime back in a Formula One car with Red Bull. Let's <laughs> see. <laughs> let's see. Um, we have a uh, a final three questions, which we ask all of our guests, and they throw up varying degrees of answers. Um, Harry, do you want to kick off? Yeah, Jaime, what's got you excited at the moment? Well. At the moment, of course, uh, music. But I have to say, I'm playing uh, golf as well. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, honestly, like, it's frustrating now because music is not moving much at the moment. You know, there's nothing happening. So I've, when once I've I've retired from racing, I've I've really pushed myself to, to, in the studio, to make music, to release music. It's been already like six years and now, since last year, everything is, has stopped. Indeed, my album is going to be, is, is, is called Stop. So that's the reason, because everything is stopped. And I didn't expect that. Nobody expect that. So, you know, I'm, I'm seeing my friends a lot. I have a beautiful life. I, I, I'm doing conferences. I wrote a book two years ago. I'm doing, like, all these conferences around uh, the book in Spain. Uh, I have many projects in my head, and now I might... You know, I'm I'm training hard. I'm testing with my go kart, uh, and but I'm enjoying life. You know, I'm I'm enjoying life as I never did. So, yeah, I'm enjoying everything. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Um, second question for you of our final three: How much of your success do you put down to luck and right place, right time, and how much down to pure hard work? Well, I think it's a mixture of both. Um, you have to be that's. For sure, you have to be at the right place at the right time. Uh, that's, be, that's being said, you know, um, like many drivers have been world championships, world champions, because they've been at the right place at the right time. Um, but uh, there has to be a lot of work and the talent has to be there. Otherwise, you cannot be a champion. And it's not just talent, you know, there's like all this hard work behind the wheel that makes you different to the rest and makes you, you know, like the one to win. So yeah, there's, there's much more than that. Mm. Okay. Well, final question for you, Jaime, what are you scared of? Of the COVID. (laughs) (laughs) No, well, of the vaccine, I would say, Uh, honestly, I, there is no real scare, but it is like, I, I can't believe the situation we're in. It's like super frustrating for for everyone, super unfair. For all of those who is who are suffering of this, 
uh, we are all in this bubble of news and things happening that every day is something new and all these now changing every day, uh, super difficult to predict. So we are we are living up a very terrible time. And this is like, it's, it's really painful. Yeah. Mm, yeah. It hurts. It yeah. hurts. Yeah. And yeah, I, I really, really wish that we could, uh, we could learn a lot from this and we could uh, be back stronger and more united, you know, to work maybe more as a community and not more, and not that much as single people, you know. So yeah, let's see. I mean, it's, it's tough, but hopefully we, we get back better than we were. Mm, I think I think you echo a lot of people's thoughts there. Ever thought about going into politics, Jaime? I think you'd be great. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Jaime Agashwai, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on the Most Math Podcast. Thank you for chatting us through your F1 career, your your reasons for leaving and what you've gone on to do since as an incredibly successful DJ. And we can't wait. We'll be the first people on that Jaime Agashwai comeback train. Don't you worry. Um, but Jaime Agashwai, thank you so much for coming onto the Motor Mouth Podcast. Thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Before you go, one final reminder to check out the team at Garuda Rival, the place to be for the 2021 motorsport season. If you think you really know your F1 and MotoGP, fancy yourself at making a bit of extra cash, setting up your own or joining a fantasy league, and making sure you have the best driver lineups for each race, all whilst getting access to the best motorsport content and chatting to like-minded fans, then Grid Rival is the place for you. Leagues go live at the end of February, so make sure you're at the front of the queue by getting notified as soon as they're ready by heading over to their website, gridrival.com, or download their app from your selected app store and get prepped for a brand new season of motorsport with Grid Rival. Now, if you're a really lovely person and fancy supporting the podcast further, just head over to Patreon, or the link is in the podcast description. We've got some great goodies and bonus content to give you if you sign up. Just search Motormouth Official on Patreon, and there are three levels of membership to choose from thank you so much for listening to the motormouth podcast do make sure you give us a follow on our socials twitter at motormouth underscore instagram at motormouth underscore official and facebook just search motormouth you can also download the motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from mmtv create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy we're also proud to be supporting the brain tumor charity too so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumours quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast.